The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Happy Wednesday to you, or whatever day it is. It's probably not a Wednesday since you're probably listening on your iPhone while you walk your dog somewhere around this planet, wherever you are and whenever it is. I am personally delighted that you're choosing to spend this hour with the Main Street Vegan Show. After the first break, we'll be bringing on one of the people that I admire the most in all the world, and that's truth. And that is Bruce Friedrich, now with Farm Sanctuary. If you want to call in and join the conversation, live listeners, you can do that at 816-347-5519. And in the meantime, I have a lovely co-host and first interviewee here, and that is Lois Eastland. If you are a follower of fashion, vegan fashion in particular, You'll know Lois Eastland and her fabulous dresses that fit so well and make everybody look like they've been a working out, health conscious vegan their entire life. Lois is a New York City based vegan fashion designer. She is also co-editor of La Fashionista Compassionista, the online vegan fashion and beauty magazine that we have talked about before. And something new and fabulous happening for Lois and for all of us who wear clothes and work out is her new fitness line, Lois Eastland Fitness, just about to launch. Welcome, Lois. Hi, Victoria. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you because, you know, I love your clothes and... I just am so happy that you're in the world doing what you're doing. You're also one of the most positive people I've ever met. Thank you very much. It's good to hear. Unity that sponsors this radio show is all about positive thinking and seeing the bright side, and you seem to do that naturally. Were you born that way? I was. I just always looked on the positive side of things. I just think that everything is going to work out, and you just should go forward with your best foot. Well, maybe that's another reason why I feel so great when I wear your clothes. Oh, maybe. Thank you. <laughs> because you actually make these dresses. Yeah, I make everything. I do all the patterns, all this cutting, the sewing. I do everything in my apartment. So you are sewing dresses in your apartment. So are they selling for $5,000? No, no. They're all around 100 a little under. So regular people. Regular have- people can afford them, yes. That's, that's pretty wonderful. So tell us a little bit about how you got started, first in fashion and then in vegan. Um, Well, I mean, uh, it's a long story, short story. I grew up in New Jersey, always loved fashion, um, planned on doing it since I was little, used to design for Barbie, that kind of thing. 
um, decided when I was 11 that I was going to go to FIT, which is the Fashion Institute of Technology here in New York City, and didn't apply anywhere else, just got in, went, and right after that, I started working in the garment center for companies designing. It was a different time back then. It was, you know, the, the industry was a little different. It was much easier to just get in um, because not everybody wanted to be a designer. There was no project runway, so there wasn't many of us around. And I worked for various companies, did a lot of things, and then I decided to strike out on my own, and I did some wholesaling. I worked with other people. I collaborated on stores. Um, a couple of years ago, I had my own store in the Lower East Side, which I had for almost five years. And in between that, I did some freelancing, and, and now I'm just selling online. Well, the, the dresses are beautiful. You're doing so much in the vegan world. Thank you. For everybody that wants to find Lois, she is on Twitter and Instagram at Lois Eastland, and that's L-U-N-D. Her website, where you can see many of these fabulous clothes, is LoisEastland.com. So where did the vegan enter into all this? Um, well, I was never a big meat eater, so I never really liked meat. Uh, I did still eat fish and chicken. Um, growing up Italian, I had a lot of cheese and pasta and, and that kind of thing. Um, but a few years ago, I saw forks over knives, and that was it. That just, you know, took me off of all animal, all animal food, animal products, everything. And, um, you know, I got into it for health reasons, but I... For me, once I got into it, then I see the impact that it has on the environment and the animals, and it's just been so important to me to spread that message. So were you using wool or any other animal no, ingredients? No, actually, I wasn't. I could never wear wool. I have very sensitive skin, and it always felt uncomfortable and itchy. I never wore silk either. I just really was like a, a cotton, like a jeans and T-shirts kind of girl. That's wonderful. So you didn't have to make a whole lot of choices. No, no. I mean, I did have to get rid of my leather shoes and belts and things like that and coats. So I collected a lot of vintage leather jackets, which I got rid of. Ah, see, a lot of people say, well, I don't have to get rid of the vintage because that cow died for somebody else. Well, I just, that's true, but I just can't enjoy wearing it anymore. I completely agree with so you. So I'd rather find some future leather or, you know, faux leather, whatever, you know, the, there's so many terms for it these days. It's, it's much more um, uh, affordable and it's fine. It looks great. They have they come, so, you know, so far with innovations. It's true. And it's so much fun to have something wonderful and get to say when you're complimented, why, thank you. And it's vegan. Yeah. And I actually was buying those products before I was even vegan. So I was buying, you know, faux leather shoes and jackets just because they were more affordable and the trendy, you know, trends come and go. So why spend a lot of money on something when it's not going to be in style the next season? I see. Well, it's fascinating. Thank so you. with our friend uh, Adrian Borgerson, yes, you guys founded last fall La Fashionista Compassionista magazine. And that, everybody, you can find at lafcnyc.com. So what's going on with the magazine? Well, we have some very exciting news for the next issue, which is coming out uh, September 1st. Um, our cover story is Jane Velez Mitchell. Ooh. So we were super excited, very, very excited to get her for that. She's just an amazing woman, and we can't. Adrian is super excited to interview her. She's a little intimidated, I, as am I. But um, she's been super nice, and, and we're very excited about that. And we have a couple of new things that we're going forward in the magazine. Um, last issue, we brought on Candace Crawford, who's an amazing vegan um, makeup artist. She's doing like a Q&A for us. And a new addition for this issue is, um, wait a minute, one second here, I'm so sorry, is um, Dylan Kendall. She's going to be doing a feature on, like, vegan housewares, and she's going to be do giving us videos and writing a column, so we're super excited about that. We have some new pet features and tech features, so... Really, it's it's going to be really great. Oh, that's so exciting. We had a woman at the last Main Street Vegan Academy, Bren Hamilton. She's in California, and she designs um, beautiful custom pet collars, all vegan. So I can maybe put yeah, you Yeah, actually, in the, in the last issue, we had a little pet fashion spread. Oh, sweet. It was so fun. It was actually mostly cats because uh -huh. they kind of get the short end of the stick. Uh-huh. Even though they don't really wear anything. They, you know, it's kind of <laughs> hard to put something on a cat. But we got, I got some great um, little companies off of Etsy, and they were fantastic. But we're going to do more you know, equal time for the dogs. Now. Oh, that's lovely. But we just wanted to start with the cats because they, yeah. really, they don't really get all the fun stuff that dogs get. Well, that this is true. Yeah. But then... 
they seem to be very happy without it. Yeah, but it was just so successful that we decided to make it a regular feature. Yeah, that's so. cool. Well, Brent's company is Pet Blessings. Oh, definitely going to have to check that out. If you wanted to check that I, out. We absolutely will. Thank you. So the magazine is going full force. Is Are the subscriptions still free? Yeah, it's still free. Yeah. Oh, my we're, goodness. Yes, we're, we're, you know, subscribe online at uh, uh, com. Very cool. So... Tell us about the athletic line. Oh, it's very exciting. Um, I really have a hard time wearing anything but cotton on my skin. And most of the fitness wear now is synthetics. Even though it's wick away and it's supposed to be comfortable, I just never liked the way it felt on my skin after working out and getting sweaty. It just just was not comfortable. And I always wanted to wear cotton, cotton lycra. And I had a hard time finding it in the stores. It just doesn't exist. And if it does, it's very thin. You could see through it, and that's not good. So uh, a friend of mine had asked me to make her some mini skirts. So I found a, a place that had some really great fabrics for that. And I had some left over, and it was cotton like wild prints. And I decided to make myself some leggings. And I'm wearing it to my fitness classes that I go to. And I keep getting asked about the, the leggings, and compliments, and the instructors. So I decided to just go for it and, and do a line of leggings and Going forward, I'm going to have, like, tops and everything to go with it. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, so they're cotton lycra, heavy-duty cotton lycra. They're really, like, fun, wild prints, and they're great to wear. I mean, everybody today is in yoga pants or leggings, so why not have them be fun? This is true. Oh, that's cool, because I know, especially working from home, I'm in gym clothes more than I'm in any other. Exactly, me too. I'm, I'm in leggings all the time. Yeah. So why not have fun leggings? Oh, fun leggings are good. So is, is that your same website or is it like a Yeah, it's, um, I just actually had a photo shoot this weekend and I, you know, with the, some of the samples, everything needs to be tweaked a little bit, but, um, it's going to be as uh, available on my regular website in, in a few weeks. Okay. So there'll be a link for that on there. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Thank you. And yeah. then we, we have, we'll have no excuse to work out because we'll just look so good. We'll have to go yeah. out. And they're going to be like limited edition. So there'll only be a few of each print available because the only other person right now or company doing it is Nike. They're doing a great print, but everybody buys Nike, right? Yeah. So, you know, where you could only have a limited. So you'll be one of only a few people who have a certain print and then we'll just move on to the next print. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Oh, Lois. <laughs> It's so wonderful to know you and get to have haute couture clothing. <laughs> Thank you so much. and beautiful. And well, you look beautiful in all the things of mine that you own. So. Well, you see, I just am so happy that we connected. So there is some Fashion Week stuff happening at the next Fashion Week. I get so confused. How many Fashion Weeks are there every well, year? Well, there's two main Fashion Weeks. There's um, one in February, which is for fall clothing and then there's one in the fall which is september for spring clothing for the next season okay um but of course there's all little fashion shows little fashion weeks i actually just did brooklyn fashion week a few weeks ago um i'm doing atlantic city fashion week in october so they you know they have different little markets but the main ones for new york are february and september so this september i'm happy to announce that um adrian and i and the magazine are going to be part of um, a group vegan fashion show that we're putting together with a few other people. And it's going to be during fashion week. We're still trying to secure a space. So we don't know the exact date, but it's going to be somewhere between September 10th and 17th. Um, we hope to have about five or six designers showing. And the exciting part is the last collection is going to be, we want to have some famous, um, like vegans, like vegan VIPs, to walk in a piece from each designer. Oh. And then that piece will go to the, we're picking two charities. Uh, the, the whole thing is going to be a charity event anyway. So, but for this one, it's going to be each one. And I would love you to, to, to walk in one of my outfits for, for that, for that part of the show. Oh my goodness. I would be honored. Okay, well, first I need the workout wear <laughs> so that in September I look really good. Oh, you look fantastic right now. So this is as very exciting. Oh, thank you, Lois. Oh, I'm yeah. so honored. Well, that'll be great. I will block out those days for absolute certain. Yeah, but there'll be more information on uh, uh, on fa- our Facebook page and website as as we get more details. Wonderful, well. and I guess in the magazine. As yeah, well. in the magazine. Yeah, because the magazine's coming out right before that, so there'll be a whole thing about that. Great, wonderful. So um, you all know where to check out Lois. We'll give that information again at the end of the show because she's going to be hanging with us. 
just before we go to break, I have a product recommendation. I don't do this very often because I only do it when I am totally blown away by some kind of vegan or cruelty-free product. And sometimes in the cosmetic realm, the thing will be fine, and sometimes it won't be quite as fine as the conventional stuff, but we use it anyway because not testing on animals is more important than that I really love my nail polish remover. But now everything has come together, and I get to have both. So I ordered from veganessentials.com something called Tate's The Natural Miracle Odorless Nail Polish Remover. Now, I've used natural nail polish removers before, and it usually takes a whole cotton balls full of the stuff just to get the polish off one nail. It's very labor-intensive. This stuff is miraculous. It is made only of minerals, and it has no scent whatsoever. Smell that, Lois. No, it does not at all. It smells like water. fantastic. But it takes off nail polish better than anything. I need it right now. Acetone, non-acetone. Well, during the break, I'll get a cotton pad, and you can use this wonderful Tate's Odorless Nail Polish Remover. So anybody who wants to check that out, you can go to veganessentials.com and and see about it. I'm just so excited. I feel like I discovered something fabulous and amazing. Uh, One other quick thing I want to tell you about the blog this week at MainStreetVegan.net. I just finished a five-day juice cleanse, and it was pretty fun. It was mostly peaceful. That was the the base experience that, that I had with my little short fast. And if you want to read that, you can go to MainStreetVegan.net slash blog. And I believe it's called something like My Juice Cleanse and Tips for Yours, if that's something that you want to embark on at some point in your adventurous future. Well, we are about to have an adventurous present because right after these tips, we'll be back with the inimitable Bruce Friedrich. Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. It's Kitchen Table Karma. Make kind food choices. Watch more good come into your own experience. Feed your body with bright, fresh, colorful foods from nature and develop the glow of radiant health. Learn how to easily reap these benefits in your life with Victoria Moran's latest book, The Good Karma Diet. Eat gently, feel amazing, age in slow motion. Including stories from real people whose dietary change graced their lives in remarkable ways. 
plus 40 delectable superfood recipes from culinary alchemist Doris Finn. Available wherever books are sold as a print edition, an ebook, or a deluxe Kindle or Nook book with 30 minutes of audio visual extras. The Good Karma Diet. Share the love and love your life. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody. I'm so happy to be introducing Bruce Friedrich. I've tried to get him on a couple of times before, and things always intervene. So this is the day. This is the perfect day to be introducing Bruce Friedrich, Director for Engagement and Policy at Farm Sanctuary, where he has worked for just over four years. Before joining Farm Sanctuary, Bruce worked for 13 years at PETA, two years as a teacher in inner-city Baltimore, and for six years at a homeless shelter and soup kitchen in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, Victoria. It's uh, absolutely a pleasure to be on. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. I know you are so busy with Farm Sanctuary and also finishing up law school. So much going on. But just so that people can kind of get a little personal intro about you, tell our listeners how you and I met. Um, well, in 1987, it was my first year of college, and I joined various progressive groups and was encouraged to uh, by the progressives to adopt a vegan diet for envir- environmental reasons and global poverty reasons. And as a part of my journey, um, I was in the library reading Animals Agenda magazine and reading columns that you had written about veganism from various vantage points. And I was so impressed and so blown away that I did, in fact, adopt a vegan diet. Um, and also, I think I made my first fan phone call. I tracked you down in St. Louis and called called you Kansas City. I'm sorry, and called you up and said, uh, "Hey, we're going to be driving through Kansas City. Can we get together?" And uh, against what must have been your better judgment, you agreed. And uh, and so we did. We sat down, my parents, my girlfriend at the time, you, me, um, and talked veganism and helped to solidify it for me. That that is just amazing. That's such I, an amazing story. Yeah, I was talking to one of the luminaries in our movement and just shared a little bit of that story with her. And she said, oh, my God, you made Bruce Friedrich vegan. You never need to do another good deed in your whole <laughs> life. Oh, that's very so, sweet. Maybe not quite that. So, Bruce, um, there's a lot going on at Farm Sanctuary. What's, um, what's up there? Oh, man, that's not a, uh, that's not a short answer question, Victoria. Um, so for people who don't know, Farm Sanctuary is, is focused on um, rescuing and providing lifelong sanctuary for animals. We also do advocacy in the policy realm. So in addition to educating people about who farm animals are and about the fact that farm animals are interesting individuals with unique personalities, just like dogs and cats are, uh, we advocate on their behalf through legal and regulatory and corporate reform. Um, and we do various educational initiatives. We invite people to come to the sanctuary um, for tours. We have our hoedown coming up the second week in August. I think it's 
almost sold out, if not sold out. But people can get the, the full uh, scope of everything that we're up to on our website, signing up for our e-alerts. Our website is just farmsanctuary.org. So um, please check it out. Sign up. Come see us. Hi, Bruce. Um, what is the Someone Project about? Well, the Someone Project is focused on the ethological science, so the science of behavior, emotion, and cognition. So whenever anybody comes to one of our, one of our sanctuaries, they meet the animals and they learn about the unique personalities of animals. So we have turkeys who, when Susie Costin is giving tours, the turkeys will follow us around um, or one of the tour guides will, you know, call a specific cow and the cow will come running over. Like all of the animals have their unique personalities and their unique stories, just like dogs and cats, who we know a little bit better, have their unique personalities and their unique stories. The Someone Project, which is focused on educating people about the fact that farm animals, each one is someone rather than something, uh, it takes the science that exists on farm animal emotion, cognition, and behavior and focuses on educating the world about that science. So, for example, pigs can play video games, which is awfully darn cute, by the way. They take the joystick in their mouth and they're looking up at the screen. And they play video games with more focus and more success than chimpanzees who are our closest living relatives. The dogs can't figure it out at all. So pigs, according to scientists, perform at about the same cognitive level as five-year-old human children. Um, another really interesting fact is that chickens have the capacity to delay gratification, which means they can live both in the present and in the future and can figure out that if they don't take a certain amount of food now, they will get more food later, which is something that human children figure out, are able to figure out, and not all of them, but human children generally get that capacity at about the age of four. Uh, chickens can also reflect on the fact that an object that is hidden still exists, which uh, usually human children get that capacity at about the age of two. So basically the Someone Project is, is aimed at breaking down the cognitive dissonance that a lot of people have, where they say they love animals, they want to see animals protected from harm, and yet they sit down to eat and they're dining on animals. They're paying other people to abuse and kill animals who are every bit as unique, every bit as worthy of our compassion and concern as the dogs and cats who you know, the vast majority of people would never consider consuming. Do you, do you find that most people are surprised by that? I mean, because it's very surprising to me to hear about it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. One of, one of the things that was sort of an aha moment for me was when Scientific American magazine came out with an editorial against using great apes in scientific experimentation. And uh, in this fairly brief editorial, their explanation for coming out against using great apes in experimentation was that great apes share with human beings capacities for emotion and empathy and fear and love. And obviously, you know, chickens and fish and pigs and cattle all have those capacities as well. And it really was an indication to me of, of what a steep climb we have when even the editors of Scientific American considered it worthy of comment that great apes have these capacities. I mean, obviously they have these capacities, but, but so do farm animals. And there's been a fair amount of psychological research which has talked about why human beings, the cognitive dissonance I was just talking about, why human beings do consider it to be you know, acceptable to eat some animals, and there's not a lot of concern for even how those animals are treated, um, and yet completely unacceptable to eat other animals, no matter how well those animals are treated, because there really is no justification. There's no reasonable ethical or moral explanation for why we would consider it to be patently unacceptable to eat a dog or a cat, and most people agree with that, um, but common and reasonable 
to eat a chicken or a pig or a cow. Um, and in fact, you know, ethically speaking, because you know, presumably dogs and cats are generally treated fairly well, and chickens, pigs, and cattle are treated abysmally, and treated in ways that would warrant felony cruelty charges if dogs or cats were similarly abused. I mean, ethically speaking, it would be more acceptable to eat the dog or the cat than to pay somebody to so gratuitously abuse the chicken or the pig or the other animal and then, you know, eat that animal. Do you have any moral discomfort with the fact that these amazing pieces of information often come from animals in laboratories or animals used in ways that we'd rather they not be used? Well, I have significant moral discomfort with that. Um, I mean, I think uh, I think it's morally obligatory that we use this research to the betterment of the billions of animals who are suffering. But one component of the Someone Project is that we are going to be doing purely non-invasive, purely observational uh, work with the animals on our farms. So stage one of the project is compiling all of the research that exists, and we have Dr. Lori Marino working on that for us, uh, for people who don't know who she is. She's the lead scientist in the movie Blackfish. She's an expert on cetaceans and great apes and um, is really quite wonderful. And and she's working with us through her Camilla Center for Animal Advocacy, compiling all of the research to date into species-by-species journal papers for peer review. And we just released the pig paper a couple of weeks ago. Um, we're going to be doing the, the chicken paper, the cow paper, um, one for sheep and goats. And then after we have put all of that together, we'll be looking for the areas where there are gaps, and there are massive gaps because this sort of ethological work, I mean, it's even in, in its infancy with regard to great apes and dogs and elephants and cetaceans, but it's, you know, it hasn't even gotten out of gestation uh, for farm animals. There's not nearly as much of it, and there are massive gaps. So we will be working on filling those gaps in a way that's basically, you know, playing with animals or observing them in as natural a setting as possible, our farm sanctuaries, um, and then writing papers about it. That is fascinating. It's totally fascinating. William and I just saw the movie Ted 2. It's about a stuffed bear, but it's not a kid's movie. This is a raunchy stuffed bear. If anybody saw Ted 1, it's a comedy. I saw Ted 1. I haven't seen it. Ted 2 is amazing. And Ted 2 is about personhood because Ted loses his status as a person and goes through all kinds of agony. And they quote some of these very things that you're talking about, Bruce, some of these experts who have defined personhood and what it means. And as they were making these descriptions of sentiency, self-awareness, capacity to feel emotion, I'm thinking farmed animals, people. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely true that whether you're talking about chickens or fish or cows or goats or sheep, um, or turkeys, these animals, they, have, they all have empathy, they all have personalities, they all, you know, as Jane Goodall talks about in her introduction to a book about farm animal personalities, you know, they, like us, feel joy and sorrow and love and sadness, um, the full range of emotional capacities. And we know that even on the basis of the limited science that exists to date, uh, but we'll be doing, you know, proving that more and more and more with this mm. project. And and so far, um, as you mentioned, it really is. I mean, it's, it's surprising to people. It's surprising to journalists, to scientists. Um, and consequently, it's newsworthy. And it allows us to raise uh, awareness about these issues with just millions and millions of people with uh, with each new paper or project. Well, it's a wonderful way to do it, too. I know that we've had most of the progress coming from showing atrocities, and we need to show the atrocities and people need to know about those. But you're talking about the other side. This is why these these beings uh, have, have value and, and, and deserve to be treated well and, and not used for human purposes. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, I think it. I mean, I think both, we do need both sides of the coin, as you rightly note. note but but it is. I mean, it, it remains fascinating to me that no matter how well a dog or a cat is treated, pretty much nobody is going to be willing to eat that animal. And no matter how gratuitously abused a chicken or a pig or a cow is, no matter how bad the abuse, uh, most people, you know, even if they know about it, are going to continue to eat those animals. And I think it's this this psychological disconnect, um, and we're attempting to, to make that connection for people uh, to help people, you know, transcend that dissonance. And we're on our way. We're also on our way to a break. We'll be back after a couple of minutes, and we're going to talk with Bruce Friedrich about Pope Francis, who seems to be living up to his name. Stay with us. If you've ever wondered how a specific Bible verse might be interpreted metaphysically, then Interpret This is for you. In Interpret This, Unity Minister Rev. Ed Townley answers your questions about the Bible and how to apply its verses to your life with passion, depth, and spiritual insight. To submit a question or to enjoy any of his numerous metaphysical interpretations, visit unity.org and click on the Interpret This box. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Main Street Vegan Show. I'm here today with Lois Eastland, fashion designer extraordinaire, and Bruce Friedrich with Farm Sanctuary. Now, Bruce, I know that you are a Roman Catholic. You converted as a young adult, and I'm interested in, in how your Catholicism and your animal rights come together. Well, yeah, I was running a Catholic worker homeless shelter and soup kitchen in the early 1990s and came across a book called um, Christianity and Animal Rights. The more recent version of it is called Animal Theology. It's by an Anglican priest and theologian and professor at Oxford University, Andrew Lindsay. And he makes, I think, an ironclad case that for people of faith, and really for you know anybody with integrity, it seems to me, but he puts it in a faith context. And he says, when we can make a choice between adding to the level of mercy in the world or the level of misery, every single time, people of faith, people of integrity should choose mercy. If we can do something compassionate or something cruel, Every single time, people of faith, um, or in a you know, non-Christian context, people of integrity, uh, should choose compassion. And every time we sit down to eat, we're participating in a relationship that makes that choice. So even if we're not personally you know, killing the animal or abusing the animal, just like the person who does the contract killing, who pays, some, pays the mercenary to go out and kill, the person who pays for it is morally culpable, you know, certainly arguably more morally culpable than the person who actually does the killing. Similarly, we're getting into a relationship wherein we're paying people to be cruel to animals, to abuse animals, uh, to make animals' lives miserable. And people of faith, people of integrity shouldn't do that. And that just struck me as such a, an overwhelmingly powerful argument. And it was uh, it was partially responsible for my moving from doing uh, vocationally human rights work to doing vocationally animal rights work. And uh, it, it's, uh, so it's, it's my Catholicism, my Christianity, that was a, a principal motiva- motivation. Now we have Pope Francis, and he recently issued an encyclical about the environment and about non-human animals, that's very exciting, and you are going to have an article in the New in the Los Angeles Times, excuse me, tomorrow. So for people listening to the podcast, if you want to look that article up, it will be July 9th, 2015. So, Bruce, tell us about this encyclical. What does it say, and what does it mean? Well, it's really quite remarkable. Um, so I, I have written quite a bit 
about Catholicism and animals. Uh, the last issue of Yale Divinity School's journal called Reflections has a piece by me called Toward a Divine Diet, in which I point out that the Catechism of the Catholic Church says that it is contrary to human dignity to cause animals to suffer or die needlessly. And then from there, I point out that we can all be perfectly healthy um, and even healthier on a vegan diet, and consequently, it causes animals to suffer and die needlessly when we consume them. But the Francis's encyclical takes that concept from the catechism and ramps it up. Um, I cannot recommend highly enough that people actually pull up the encyclical and read it. Um, it is a borderline animal rights manifesto in which the Pope both promotes kindness to animals, and he looks at St. Saint Bonaventure and St. Francis and the history of the church. He gets the best of both the Hebrew and the Christian scriptures, and just again and again and again calls both for compassion, and he denounces cruelty. And he talks about how other animals model the Trinity. He talks about Mary, the mother of God, um, being in agony over anthropocentrism and the idea that human beings um, are not kind to the poor and are not kind to animals. I mean, that's revolutionary when the Holy Father of the Catholic Church talks about Mary, the mother of God, groaning both for the poor and for animals in the same sentence. It's really quite something. And the entire encyclical, just again and again and again, it calls for compassion and it denounces cruelty and it denounces, you know, using this word, anthropocentrism, um, the idea that human beings are the center of the created universe and that consequently we can do whatever we want with the universe and God's creatures. And the media has really homed in on the global warming element and the environmental element. But if you read the encyclical, it's got a lot more to say about compassion and in denunciation of cruelty than it does about environmentalism. And he ends with two prayers, and both of the prayers, I mean, there's, there's creation in there too, uh, but there's even more compassion for creatures than there is uh, stewardship of creation. It's really quite something. Wow. That, that's just stunning. The hairs on my arms are standing up. So theologically, what are we talking about? When, when he does an encyclical, is he speaking ex cathedra? Is this when he's considered infallible, or is this something else? Well, in, infallibility is kind of a funny concept. Um, it's, uh, it's less than 100 years old, I think. It's, uh, it's in any event you know, very new. If it's, not, if it's not less than 100 years old, it's not much older than 100 years old. It, it was declared by a pope you know, many years after the foundation of the church. And according to church teaching, a pope has to say, this is infallible for it to be infallible. And even then, there's some, some theological dispute um, about whether you know, fallibility as a concept actually exists. But it is Catholic doctrine. Um, so according to the teaching of the Church, this is an official pronouncement, and it's no longer debatable. Now, even Catholic theologians will still debate it, uh, but it is the, the first time that the Church, in something that is considered to be handing down doctrine, the doctrine of the Church, uh, has gone to this level. And certainly, you know, all Catholics who take their faith seriously uh, will be taking this very, very seriously. It's a lot more than a sermon or an off-the-cuff remark or an interview um, or anything else. It is, it is considered official Church teaching. Bruce, why do you think the press focus on the environmental aspects and, um, instead of the kindness aspects? Well, I think the environmental aspects have more to say for the U.S. presidential election. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are, you know, there are multiple uh, Catholics running for the Republican nomination, and whether they even grant global warming as a concept. I mean, the, the Pope in the encyclical uh, both says global, human-made global warming, global warming 
is real. Um, he is unkind to people who continue to deny it. And he says we have a moral obligation to address it. So there is, I mean, there is some really strong stuff in the encyclical about global warming, about environmentalism, and about the moral obligation of Catholics vis-a-vis that. So I, I imagine, you know, with people like Rick Santorum um, and Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio and other self-identified Catholics, you know, it is a real issue in the Republican primaries, um, environmentalism and global warming, where unfortunately, you know, animals don't have that degree of prominence. So, Bruce, PETA has a subsection, as I understand it, Jesus People for Animals, and they have sent out mailings encouraging uh, people who belong to that to tweet the Pope, and and he does have a Twitter account, (laughs) 6.8 million followers, I think, and, and to encourage Pope Francis to go vegan. Now, I have to tell you, I am from the previous generation of Catholicism. I was a little Catholic girl back in Kansas City when the Mass was in Latin and women had to cover their heads to walk into a church and we didn't eat meat on Friday. And so I went to the Pope's Twitter page and I tweeted something nice about the encyclical. And when I wanted to say maybe you could think about veganism. I literally couldn't do it. As much as I want everybody on earth to go vegan, I just thought you can't tell the Pope what to do, which is really interesting because, you know, the old, um, Mm -hmm. was it the, um, uh, the Jesuit teaching, you know, I'll have a child until they're five years old and I have them for the rest of their lives. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, it's true. So should we tell the Pope to go vegan? (coughs) Well, I mean, I I think, uh, yes, I do think we should tell the Pope to go vegan. I think it's probably not. um, I I would guess that he is not checking his own Twitter account. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, who who knows? I imagine an awful lot of people are tweeting at him. I I did think it was a pretty big deal, and I put it in my L.A. Times piece for tomorrow, that um, of about a dozen tweets related to the encyclical, the third or fourth one was um, it is contrary to human dignity to cause animals to suffer and die needlessly, which, uh, you know, the Pope was not just taking a stand in the encyclical. He uh, was actually tweeting about our need to cause, you know, to, be, uh, to take a stand on behalf of animals. But um, I, don't, I certainly don't think there's a downside to that, um, although I suspect that, that writing him a proper letter um, is, a, is a more likely way to get to him than, than through Twitter. So do you think there's a chance? Do you think he's going to go vegan? Um, you know, hope springs eternal. I, I, uh, if, if he takes his own encyclical seriously um, and is educated about what modern farming, or really any farming of animals entails, it's certainly the logical progression. I mean, he talks, uh, he actually says in the encyclical that purchasing is a moral act. And he calls for consumer boycotts against corporations that are behaving environmentally irresponsibly. There are, there are really like 15 different things in this encyclical that you get to them and you go, wow. Um, and that was one of them. So uh, consumerism as, an, as a moral act combined with denunciation of cruelty and a call for compassion and the whole idea of, of personal moral responsibility, um, I would say that all of that requires veganism, um, which is a point that I make in the LA Times tomorrow. So um, I certainly certainly hope that he will, and I I wouldn't rule it out. That would be like game-changing for the entire world. That would really be amazing. It would indeed. Oh, my goodness. Ah, if you're near a computer, go to farmsanctuary.org, see what they're doing. Also, animaladvocacybook.com. Bruce is the co-author of the Animal Activist Handbook. Lots of good information there. And if you want to know more about Bruce in general, you can go to works.bpress.com slash Bruce underscore Friedrich. Bruce, you're very good at debating people. In fact, you debate whole college teams. 
What's the secret to winning a debate with a mediator? Well, I think having an infallible argument um, helps. But, you know, it's uh, one of the things that actually that, that Matt and I talk about in the Animal Activist Handbook is that this really is a case of, of bringing what Socrates taught us to bear. Um, and that is that when you have an argument that is so unassailable, you want to help people to recognize that they already agree with you. So this sort of builds on, on the concept of what the encyclical means in practical terms. Pretty much everybody, so according to a Gallup poll this past May, 96% of Americans want to see animals treated well. You'd get similar numbers if you ask people, you know, do you think you should care about your health? Do you think you should care about the environment? Maybe, maybe even slightly lower. Well the, well, the practical ramifications of I care about animal suffering, I oppose animal suffering, the practical ramification of that is we shouldn't be paying other people to cause animals to suffer. So um, I try when I'm having conversations with people and I try in these debates uh, to make the simple point that if we want to lead lives of integrity and if we oppose cruelty to animals and don't want to cause more environmental harm than necessary, then living in alignment with those values requires a move toward a vegan diet. Here, here. Yeah, you've said um, veganism isn't about personal purity. Can you explain that? Uh, sure. So, I mean, so this is... Um, so it's, it's, it's veganism is not about personal purity, just to make sure that, that people understand. And veganism is about lessening our support for cruelty and lessening our support for suffering. And it's worth recognizing that, that just by being consumers in the world, we're going to cause some suffering. So even vegan crops require resources. Even vegan crops, you know, some animals, if you're eating non-organic food, then pesticides and herbicides are involved and some animals are going to die. Um, and if you're eating exclusively organic food, um, unless you've managed to live purely veganic, which is impossible to do um, unless you're basically off the grid, there is some animal fertilizer involved. So nobody can withdraw their complicity in animal suffering altogether which should be humbling and should allow us to recognize that the goal isn't to be perfect. The goal is to do the best that we can. And a part of that is having humility, not being judgmental, meeting people where they are, and inviting them on the path. So there are some people, and I was certainly like this when I adopted a vegan diet originally, there are people who, because they're so morally outraged, by the suffering in the world, they refuse to eat with meat eaters, um, or they quiz servers about modicum ingredients in you know, the hamburger bun or whatever. And I think those sorts of actions, while they make perfect sense, um, actually if you delve into them, they're counterproductive toward our larger goal of causing as little suffering as possible and helping other people to move down the path. So, you know, we, we've all, those of us who are vegan have encountered people who, you know, somebody says, well, I've given everything up but dairy products. And the response of the vegan is to give a lecture on dairy products rather than to be affirming and to, you know, encourage the person for the steps that they've made and then maybe to move into a discussion of dairy products. But if our response to that person is, you know, negative and scolding, um, we could well scare them out of the good that they've already done. So it's basically in opposition to this sort of all-or-nothing mindset. And Matt and I delve into this concept. I'm not sure I've done a very good job of it in the, you know, two and a half minutes that I've spent addressing it. Uh, but Matt and I delve into it in, in some depth in the Animal Activist Handbook. There's also an essay people can find online um, called Effective Advocacy. If you Google Effective Advocacy in my name, um, I go a little bit more in-depth in this question and maybe do a better job of explaining it. Bruce, thank you so much. I can't believe that our time is almost up. I could listen to you for a really long time. As could I. 
So thank you, Bruce Friedrich. Thanks, Lois Eastland. Let's go over those URLs again. You can find out about the good work of Farm Sanctuary at farmsanctuary.org. You can look up the Animal Activist Handbook at animaladvocacybook.com. You can follow Lois Eastland on Twitter and Instagram at um, at Lois Eastland and go to loiseastland.com to see her fabulous dresses and the new line of athletic wear. And please join us next week. We have a a trio of, of fascinating guests. We'll start with Lisa Levinson. She's part of In Defense of Animals and their vegan spirituality group. They do vegan spirituality retreats all over the country. And then we'll bring on Nelson and Kim Campbell. Nelson, as you may know, is one of the sons of Dr. T. Colin Campbell. And they have a fabulous new documentary going around called Plant Pure Nation that um, is just attempting to set the world on fire or I'm this country to anyway. That. You've seen it? No, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, fantastic. So, everybody, God bless you. And eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Do you ever find yourself stuck? Slow down and breathe. Bring to mind a person who you admire. Ask yourself, what actions would they take? Would they make a list of possibilities? How about making a list of the things that they're grateful for? Here's another. Reaching out and asking the person you admire for guidance. Finding yourself stuck is similar to being in a dark room with messengers of fear invading your goodness. Pick yourself up. Cut a hole in that wall and let the light in today. Get more inspiration. Listen to Clarity 101 with Glenda Gibbs on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Central Time. Take the first step. You're worth it. Inspiration only takes a moment. We invite you to consider these words from Unity author Charles Roth. Live deeply in the present moment. If you are going to work on the premise that real energy, real excitement, that feeling of being fully and enthusiastically alive comes from a source within you, then it follows that you have to spend some time getting acquainted, being at home in those far reaches of inner space. Peace is power. For out of stillness, strength is born, and out of inner harmony, productivity flourishes. Rest in that inner peace. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. It's Kitchen Table Karma. Make kind food choices. Watch more good come into your own experience. Feed your body with bright, fresh, colorful foods from nature and develop the glow of radiant health. Learn how to easily reap these benefits in your life with Victoria Moran's latest book, The Good Karma Diet. Eat gently, feel amazing, age in slow motion. Including stories from real people whose dietary change graced their lives in remarkable ways. Plus, 40 delectable superfood recipes from culinary alchemist Doris Finn. Available wherever books are sold, as a print edition, an ebook, or a deluxe Kindle or Nook book with 30 minutes of audiovisual extras. The Good Karma Diet. Share the love and love your life. At Metaphysical Romp 2, 
We demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.